I'd like you to turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew now, um, and we're going to read the parallel passage of the passage that Jimmy read for us, and that's Matthew 17. Thank you. I'm having problems with my voice and my allergies. So this is not orange juice nor scotch. It's cayenne pepper, okay? Yeah, I got it from Charles Spurgeon, the idea, and I've used it for years and it works. So if you see me, that's trying to get my voice box back. <clears throat> anyway, Matthew chapter 17. Um, Mark's gospel is the shortest of all gospels, but it's the most detailed of all gospels in what it takes up. And so, Mark, we're going to go back and forth from Mark 9 to Matthew 17, because this is an example where looking at the different um, passages and the parallel passages is going to give a lot of light onto that. So please turn to Matthew 17. While you're turning there, um, I was supposed to make two announcements, and I left them in the pew, so let me try it by memory. Uh, the movie night is not November 26th, it's November 6th, correct? Okay, so that's November 6th. And these, there's a, these are really great. They're live streamed from the thing in, uh, in, in, uh, in uh, Lancaster, and, and it's really, uh, I've heard rave reviews over the last one. Also, we have a, a moving, a work day on the 30th of this month, so if you would, uh, if some of you could come out and help us, that would be great, and uh, so if you could keep that in your calendar. So let's look at Matthew 17, verse 14. And when they had come to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and often into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him, could not cure him. Then Jesus answered and said, oh, faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of him, and the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief. For assuredly I say to you, If you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind does not come out except by prayer and fasting. Let's pray for God's grace to help us with these. Father, please be with us now, we pray. Please teach us and instruct us by the power of your Holy Spirit. Please, as, as Jonathan said, please change us so that we would walk out of here having been touched by you, especially in these areas of faith and prayer. Bless and be with us now, we ask. Help us, we pray. We're asking you in faith, help us in our weakness to grow strong in faith and to find you and meet you and get real help in prayer. And as we watch that struggle play out before us in this text, instruct us, we pray. In Jesus' name we ask, amen. Let me ask you a question, um, and I'm not talking down at you. I've asked myself these questions a lot. Um, when you pray, when you pray, do you get real comfort from prayer? 
Do you get a real release from prayer? As we just sang, the sweet hour prayers, is it a time of real release? Do you, do you get peace when you pray? Do you, do you have a sense of well-being when you pray, after you've prayed? Or is prayer for you, you still walk away from praying and calling out to God with, with anxiety? You're still anxious. Are, are you, is, does it still feel like, yeah, I prayed about it, but it's, it's, it's unresolved? Things are kind of unresolved for me. Um, do you, do you, are you kind of partially hopeful, but partially scared? Or, and this is a very real possibility, because I've seen it in my own life, and I've done, seen it in pastoral care. Do you find that prayer actually makes you feel worse off? Because at least when you're watching TV or something, you're distracted, but prayer just kind of brought all your problems back, but you never really got released from it. Well, we're going to address that because you're going to see this mixture of belief and unbelief and prayer, and Jesus is going to both rebuke and, and, and encourage, and we're going to see that in the text. But let me ask you a second question. Your faith, your faith, how, how, how does your faith work? How, how good is your faith? How strong is your faith? And again, I, I've asked myself this. And, and, and in fact, I'm going to share with you now a struggle. I have struggled with faith for a long time. And uh, in, in, in for most of my life, I've also struggled with monitors when I'm preaching. Anyway, I don't want to trip and fall over that once I get wound up. Anyway, I've struggled with my faith. And the Lord has had a lot of work to do with me over the decades in, in, in faith. It's an area that I've struggled in. And I find that I have very strong faith in things past, in the cross, in, in, what, in Christ, in historically what God has done. I have strong faith in the past. And I have very strong faith in the future. Christ is coming again. I, 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 I believe that when I die, I will go to heaven. I, I truly do. But where I struggle with my faith is in the present and the near future. At times when I need God to help me now, I need help now, I need, and, and very much what this father is dealing with here in this text, I need God to move in a very practical way right now. I find that my faith is weak and my faith struggles. And so then I have this weird mixture of faith, belief and unbelief. Prayer is a comfort. Prayer isn't quite a comfort. And that's what I want to address today to you because I think the text is going to address it to us. And I think that we can find real help from this. So let's go through this text. And like I said, if you have your Bibles and you're following along, have Matthew 17 open, but then also have Mark 9 because I'm literally going to do one of these things uh, here with that, okay? So what we do is we begin with the context always. And the context is that Jesus, Peter, James, and John are coming down from the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they come down from that glorious mountain and what they had experienced there, they come upon absolute chaos, absolute chaos. In fact, uh, one of the gospel writers tells us that there's an argument going on at this point uh, and, and such. And there's a crowd there and there's a boy there who the Bible describes as having 
epilepsy. If you look at verse 14, I'm in Matthew now. If you look at verse 14, and when they had come down to the multitude, a man came to him, kneeling down to him, saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is an epileptic and suffers severely, for he often falls into the fire and, into the, and often into the water. So as you put together all of the gospel writers that deal with this, Matthew, Mark, and Dr. Luke, because Luke is a doctor, uh, this is what comes out, that this boy has seizures. These are his symptoms. He has seizures. And let me, I'll, I'll actually list down through what all the gospel writers compiled together say. He gets thrown down to the ground. He has convulsions. He foams at the mouth. He grinds his teeth. He becomes rigid. Now, that's what all of the gospel writers are saying, and that is very similar to what is described today as epilepsy. This boy had epilepsy. It's interesting. The word that's actually used here for epilepsy could be described moonstruck. It actually comes from the word moon, and it moonstruck, and that's the word that people used for epilepsy. We actually use words like this as well, where we bring in the moon uh, and, and, and the effects of the moon upon uh, the earth is obvious. I mean, uh, tides and things like that. Um, deer hunters, you know, look at look at my my, brother, my son-in-law always tells me when I'm supposed to go out new moon, uh, deer hunting because of the moon and all that, and uh, and that. But um, lunatic comes from luna, luna, and this is where this word is. That's not what's being said here, but but the, that's kind of how they they dealt with this. This boy has epilepsy, but there seems to be a much more sinister element at work here. Because not only does he have those symptoms, but he is deaf, he is mute, and this epilepsy, epilepsy that he has affects him at very dangerous moments. He, falls, he, he has these convulsions when he's around fire and he falls into them. He has these convulsions when he's around water, and so there's almost a, a, a death element to it. And Jesus calls this demon possession. And, uh, and such. Now here, I want you to turn back to Mark and look at the passage that Jimmy read. And notice what happens. So he comes, in verse 18, all of these things are described, foaming at the mouth, gnashing of teeth. But then notice what happens in verse 20. And when they brought him to him, notice this, when he saw him, as soon as the little boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit convulsed him and he fell to the ground and he wallowed and he foamed at the mouth. And Jesus picks up on this and says, wait a minute, something much more deeper is going on here. And he actually asks the father. Now, before we get into the next text, I want you to, I want, I want to explain this to you. Jesus is now going to have a little quick discussion with the father. And when you're reading the Bible, it almost looks like Jesus and the father are having this little discussion over tea while this boy's foaming at the mouth. That's not, and that actually is what's happening, but that's not what's happening. Think of it more like this. Have you ever seen Seen, maybe in real life, hopefully more he was seen in the movies, the EMT comes in and he's looking in and he's, and he's checking the pulse and he's checking for, and he's pulling the eyelids up and he's doing like this and he's asking questions. Does he have any allergies? When did this start happening? That's the kind of conversation that's about to take place and here, watch. So Jesus sees that this boy, and then Jesus turns to the father because he's picking up on something. This is a little bit more than epilepsy because Jesus heals physical ailments and not all ailments are demon possessed. Uh, uh, you know, lame people and, and such like that. Jesus, Jesus heals people. Jesus was told that this is an epileptic, but something more sinister is going on here and he picks up on it because notice what he says that because this fact that he convulsed. So he says, how long has this been happening to him? 
And the father says from childhood. And then the father says this, and often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything to help, and then they have it. And so Jesus then casts out a demon. Now notice what it says in verse 25. And then Jesus saw the people running together. He rebuked the unclean spirit saying to him, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you to come out of him and enter him no more. And when the spirit came out of him, convulsed him greatly, came out of him and he became as one dead and many thought he was dead. And then Jesus goes and picks his, touches his hand and raises him up. And so this was a very serious situation, a very serious ailment. Now, so that's the epileptic described. Now let's go to the disciples' inability. The disciples can't heal him. Look at verse 18 in Mark. It's at the very end, it says this. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. Now this had to be, first of all, an incredible frustration and embarrassment to the disciples themselves that they couldn't heal him because Earlier in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 1, it says this, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits. Is Matthew 10, 1 coming up? Uh, and then he called his 12 disciples to him and gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now notice here that Jesus had already empowered the disciples to cast out unclean spirits. And yet when they got to this one, they couldn't cast it out. And it had to have been a great embarrassment to them and confusion. Why couldn't we cast this out? And they're going to ask that in a few minutes. It had to be hugely disappointing to the dad. The dad brought his son trying to find Jesus. Jesus isn't there. So the disciple says, don't worry, we got this. Jesus empowered us to do it. And we've done it in the past. And then they attempt and it, nothing happens. And so this had to be very, very disappointing to the dad. But it was a source of, check my words carefully here, holy, because he's sinless, holy frustration to Jesus. Notice, now let's go back to, uh, no, let's not, stay right here. Look at verse 19. And Jesus answered and said, O faithless generation. Now Matthew tells us that he said actually, O faithless and perverse generation. And the word perverse there doesn't, don't think primarily sexual perversion. There it means twisted, broken, messed up. And what Jesus is saying is, faithless and messed up generation, when are you going to start believing? And, 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 and notice what he says here. Notice the next thing. How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? It's a sense in which he's saying, I want to get back to heaven. I want to get back to heaven where there's no question of God's power, where there's absolute complete faith, where there's absolute complete confidence, where people aren't faltering with this. How long, you faithless generation. And so Jesus is, 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 is there's a holy frustration here. But then we also have the dad's faith struggle. And this is what Mark highlights. It's not, it's not in Matthew. The dad's faith struggle. So notice, he says, they, they can't cast him out. And then they bring the boy. The boy starts convulsing that Jesus has how long from childhood. And then the dad says this. Look at verse 22. 
For often he has thrown him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, not a rousing uh, uh, cheer there for Jesus. It's like, hey, if there's anything you can do. And the dad is, I mean, I, I'm going to give him a little bit of slack here because the disciples have tried and the demons laughing, as it were. The boy's convulsing again. And this whole thing, all of his nightmares are coming true right before their very eyes. And he's pleading with Jesus and he's saying, please, anything, anything you can do, please have compassion. If you can, do anything. So here's part of the faithless and messed up generation of people saying, I don't know what's going on. I don't know. Maybe you can help. I don't know what's going on. And Jesus calls him out on it. Look at verse 23. And Jesus said to him, if you can believe, this ain't about me, Jesus says. This ain't about whether I can do anything. If you can believe, notice what he says, all things are possible to him who believes. Has anybody ever heard anybody say, this is my life verse, this is my life verse? Did you ever hear anybody say, I got a life verse. Hey, this is my life verse. People sometimes will have this life verse. Sometimes I think the next verse should be my life verse. Verse 24. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Now, don't put that on my tombstone, but I think that probably, <laughs> that, how many times, how can you, can you not relate to this father? I believe, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. I'm a mixture of belief and unbelief. And then Jesus heals the boy. And then we have the disciples getting with Jesus and wanting to... Now, let's flip back to Matthew. They want to review the situation. It's kind of like, you know, the game, the game film, you know, hey, guys, it's Monday. We lost the game. Let's go back, look at the game film, and see what went wrong. Well, that's kind of what's happening here because look at verse 19. Now, I'm in Matthew 17, 19. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? What happened? What went wrong? Notice Jesus' words. So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief. Some of your Bibles say little faith, same thing in that sense. Because of your unbelief. For assuredly, I say to you. Oh, by the way, let's stop right here. Let's, let's catch what Jesus is saying here. Jesus, why did this not work? Why couldn't we cast it out? Simple unbelief. That's what Jesus is saying here. Simple unbelief. You're, you did not sufficiently believe. You did not believe as you should. Then he goes on to say this. For assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, and Jesus says earlier in the book of Matthew, this is the smallest seed. You have this faith of the mustard seed, the size of mustard seed, very little faith. You will say to this mountain, what mountain? The mountain where they were up for transfiguration. They're standing right at the foot of the mountain. You will say to this mountain, he says, move from here to there, and it will move. Now, Jesus is not talking about the fact that now in the new kingdom there's going to be Christian excavation companies who come in without any, uh, without any earth movers, no diesel fuel, no nothing. They just simply say, oh, you need that mountain over there? Okay, hey, mountain, move over there. That's not what Jesus is saying. This is a proverbial statement, to move mountains. If I have the faith of, uh, if I have great faith, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, so as to move mountains. This is a proverbial statement, Okay. And he, he turned the world upside down. That's a proverbial statement. That's what this is here. Jesus, but, but Jesus is saying great things will happen with very little faith. Because notice what he's saying here. And nothing will be impossible for you. 
Because faith placed in the right object of God, who's God, who, if faith placed in Christ who can do anything, that faith is going to do great things if that faith is placed, if you exercise faith. And what he's saying to these guys is, you made this attempt without even a mustard seed of faith. You need to have more faith. And what he's trying to do is encourage their faith. If you pray with faith, if you come with faith, if you come to God with faith, great things can happen. Nothing will be impossible for you. You can face every challenge. He's trying to encourage them to have great confidence in prayer. If you're in Matthew 18, just flip over to Matthew 21, just a few chapters over, and notice what Jesus said. In this context, he, he took the mustard, he took a fig tree, he cursed it, it shriveled up. Disciples freak out, verse 20. Listen to what he says in verse 21. Then Jesus answered and said to them, Assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but also if you say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, it will be done. And verse 22, and whatever things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Jesus is trying to encourage us to pray believing that when we come to our time of prayer, when we come to ask, come full of faith, come believing, come with great confidence in God. That's what he's saying. That's what is being said here. Now, let's apply this to ourselves. Let's look at this whole thing of faith and prayer and, 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 and apply where we're at with us. First of all, we need to sweep away all kinds of unbiblical and, un, uh, and undiscerning foolishness that is out there in terms of prayer. And by the way, tonight at Bible study, I'm going to be teaching a Bible study that, that follows up on this, and it's going to be on this mystery that is prayer. Why do we pray? How, why pray if God already knows what we're going to ask? What does it mean to pray in faith? But let, let and, and I'll, I'll do in more detail, but here I just want to quickly sweep away the unbiblical undiscerning foolishness that we have today taught in evangelical churches about prayer. And of course, what I'm talking about here is this silly name it and claim it thing. That, that, that they'll take a verse like I just read, praying, believing, you'll have it, and they will then say, ah, this is great. God just gave me a blank check. God has literally given you, and I've heard this said exactly like this, God has given you a checkbook, and he has signed every single one of the checks, and all you have to do now is just write in whatever you want, and that's what God wants. And so, man, you need that Cadillac. You need this. You need that. You need money. You need prosperity. You need this. You need that. You name it. You claim it. You write it down. God said it. In fact, you can hold him to it. You can command God to do this. You can make God do these things. Because he has already promised himself that he is going to do it. And that's how they twist these passages. Well, one of the problems with doing that is that you have a whole Bible. And you always have to compare one verse and its interpretation with the rest of the Bible. And they tend to forget verses like John, James 4.3, which is also in the Bible. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. That one verse right there eliminates all health and wealth prosperity gospel preachers, right? That's all, that's all we need to know. They're done. Shut up. Sit down. Go home. Get, open your Bibles and start rereading and so that you learn something. You see, dear friends, the Bible's view of prayer is much more intricate. We're going to get into this. We're to pray according to God's will. 1 John 5, 14 and 15 says this. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the positions that we have asked from him. We're to pray according to his will. I oftentimes say to people who've been influenced by the health and wealth or the prosperity, or even to them themselves, these word of faith guys, I'll say, you know what? If I felt that God changed his will or God was subservient to my prayers in some way, that the universe had to be run by what this little pea brain has decided and asks God, God must do it, I'll never pray again. Because if anybody would mess up this universe, it would be me. It would be me. And I'm glad God doesn't do that, okay? That's not what prayer is. That's not what prayer's about. Jesus prayed, and he said, not my will, but your will be done. Nevertheless, so we have to sweep away this unbiblical, undiscerning foolishness. On the other hand, we need to be careful that we are not unwise in our overreaction. And some Christians have so overreacted to that that they only have one prayer, your will be done. And they've lost something of the unction in prayer, something of the, of the calling upon God in prayer, something of the believing in prayer that Jesus is trying to get into our lives. Listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 7. We've studied this weeks ago, months ago. But listen to Jesus' words again. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened. For anyone who asks, receives. And he who seeks, finds. And he who knocks, it will be opened. Or what man is there among you? If a son asks for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good gifts, good things to those who ask him? And so the Bible tells us that we're to have this battle, we're to have this, this, this dynamic of prayer that does involve faith, that does involve believing and such. And so let me go back to our original questions. How is your prayer life when you pray? Do you find relief? Do you find real help? How, how is your faith in that? Let's go back to that now. Let's think about when you need God to answer your prayer soon. I'm in a struggle right now. I need your help. For instance, maybe you're in a marriage that's struggling, and you need love, and you need patience, and you need forgiveness. Maybe you're, you're in a parenting situation, you're struggling. You need love, you need patience, you need it now. You, you, maybe you're in work, you, you, in your work environment. There are just some very difficult people to live with, to work with and such, and you need, you need love. You're, you're getting angry and impatient and saying things, and you need help, you need, you need love. You need patience, you need forgiveness. You need forbearance, but you need it right now. Or maybe you're being tempted. Strong, powerful temptations are coming. Maybe it's a temptation to be covetous. And a temptation to be covetous, to want something, to want it for yourself, to want it now. It could be a material possession. It could be a status. It, the Bible says don't even covet your neighbor's wife. It could be your neighbor's wife or your husband. And, and what happens then is, I wish I had a wife or husband like that, then you say. Then what happens is, that leads then to tons of other sins. You're discontent. You're angry at your own spouse. You're angry at your own house. I want a nicer house. This house stinks. Why do I have to drive this stinking car when I could be driving that BMW over there? That's what happens with covetousness. And then we become envious. Who's that guy think he is with a BMW like that? 
Does he think he's better than me? And I start to hate him. And then we become just ingrateful in for what God has given us. And, that, and, and, and if you're feeling that coming upon you in powerful way and the flesh is saying, yeah, 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 inside you, you've got to battle and you need God's help. You need God to help you. Maybe it's anger. You're starting, you're starting to get angry, sinfully angry. There's, there's righteous anger, but sinful anger. And then that leads to malice where you, you lock in and you hate people. And that leads to a root of bitterness. Maybe it's lust. You're desiring after somebody. And then, and then that lust uh, leads, to, leads to wrong thoughts and wrong feelings and, and, and such like that. Or maybe, maybe your need that you're feeling right now is for somebody else. You have a child who's not doing well, struggling. You have a friend who's struggling with addictions or some of these sins. You have unsaved loved ones. Or maybe you need wisdom. You're trying to figure something out and you need wisdom. Or maybe you need endurance. You're old and your body is starting to break down and you have pain everywhere. And you just need to endure to the end and you need endurance and you need it now. The question is, how do you approach this in prayer? And do you, in prayer, find real help? And do you come to prayer in faith? Now, I'm going to use an illustration, and I'm going to use this illustration to show different ways people respond in prayer, and I want to try to find yourself in this and, and see this as encouraging. Here's the illustration. Man and wife are home, phone rings. Pick up the phone, it's their bank. And their bank says... And you know how banks are, so I don't even have to go into that. But anyway, they say, basically, we're calling your mortgage. And you say, wait, I made all my payments. No, we're calling your mortgage because, and here's the reason why, the bank's having problems, so they're calling in all the mortgages. We're calling your mortgage. You need to give us $100,000 by the end of the week or you lose your house. Now, some people, if that were to happen to them, they will... I know what to do. The panic. Ah, what do we do? What do we do? How we... Now imagine somebody says, I'm going to email Bill Gates. I'm going to email a wealthy person. Email... I'm going to email a wealthy person that I don't know. And I'm going to, and so, dear Bill, I know you don't know me, but $100,000 is a chump change for you, so please send it. Please, I'm going to send one off to Bill. I'm going to send one to a guy who owns Amazon. I'm send one guy who owns Google. I'm going to send it to all these people. What's that feel like? It feels like a shot in the dark. It feels like there's very little hope it's actually going to happen. It'd be a miracle they even open the email. Uh, but you think, yeah, what can I lose? You know, I don't have anything else to lose. You know, some people treat prayer like that. They treat prayer like that. Oh, God, please help me. <laughs> Did you feel comforted from that? No, 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 actually, no. It feels like a shot in the dark. It feels like, it feels like <sighs> I just didn't know what else to do. Now I got to go to plan B. Is that how you approach prayer? Let's say you don't do that. Let's say you actually decide to ask a relative for the $100,000. You're going to ask a father or an uncle or an aunt. But the problem here is that you're not real close to that relative. You're not real close to your dad. You're not real close to your uncle or your aunt. Secondly, they've never actually done this before that you've ever heard of or actually write out a $100,000 check. And, but this is a little bit better because you're at least emailing somebody who you have some connection with. 
But again, you still don't have a lot of hope. And you say, okay, yeah, I wrote to Uncle Fred, but you know, let's go to plan B, try to figure out what we're going to do. Maybe Uncle Fred will come, maybe he won't. Maybe. Some people treat prayer like that. They, they have a little bit, they know a little bit about God, they know that they should pray, and so they pray. But then again, they walk away like, oh, who knows? Maybe it'll work. But let's go to plan B, because you know, sometimes God does these miracles, but no, I don't know if he's going to do it for me. But then there's a third way. Let's say you have a father. And your father loves you deeply. You have an earthly father. He loves you deeply. You're very close to him. But he doesn't have a lot of money. And so he's going to have to take out a second mortgage. And that, so you ask your father to do this. Now we're getting closer, aren't we? We're getting closer. But do you pray like that? Do you pray like, yeah, I know God loves me. But you really question his ability. Could God actually really give me love right now for this obnoxious person that I work with? Could God actually work in my, the life of my children so that their marriage... Could God work in the life of my unsaved? Could God actually... And I, I know he loves me, but I, don't, I just don't know. That, that's how some of us pray. Then there's a fourth option. You write to your dad because your dad deeply loves you. Your dad has lots of money. Your dad has, is very generous. In fact, your dad has helped you in the past. Now, if you have a dad like that, I see it playing out like this. Phone rings, it's your bank. Yeah, I don't like you guys. Yeah, we don't like you either because we're foreclosing on your house right now. You owe us $100,000. You need to give it to us by the end of the week. You hang up, and I'll, I'll, I'll be that guy. You hang up, and you turn to your wife, and she says, what's that all about? And he says, the bank just foreclosed on our house. We owe them $100,000. And the wife says, thank goodness we've got your dad. Thank goodness we got your dad. Your dad will give us that money. Your dad loves us. Your dad's got all kinds of money. Your dad's helped us in the past. Whew, hey, call your dad. And she goes out and does some gardening or whatever she wants to do. She's not worried. Dear friends, is that how you pray? Is that how we pray? There's a peace. There's a confidence. There's a sense of well-being. Even if he says no. Todd, we really liked your sermon, but why do you have to keep doing that? Throwing in, even if he says no. I'm, I'm not a gum guy. I'm a mint guy. You didn't even know that was a binary? It's a binary. You're either gum, you're mint. I'm a mint guy. My granddaughter, Riley, is a mint gal. And she knows I'm a mint guy. And so she's not here today. But if she was here today, you would see this play out. Because it plays out not only every Sunday. It plays out every time I see her. Isaac says, hi, Grandpa. Benny, hi, Grandpa. Riley, you got a mint. You got a mint. She doesn't say hi. She doesn't say I love you. She doesn't say Grandpa. She says, you got, it actually comes out as one word. You got a mint. You got a mint. You got a mint. And I usually got a mint. And so I give her a mint, okay? And, uh, and then and I say, you know, but I'll say, you know, say please or first give me a hug or something like that. But you got a mint. You got a mint. You got a mint. Now, after church, so usually before church, she gets a mint. After church, 
I'm usually delayed here, and she goes to my house because we have dinner together, and I get out of the truck in the driveway, and she comes running up to me and says, Guy, I'm in. Guy, I'm in. Guy, I'm in. And I say, I do have a mint, but you can't have one because we're about to eat dinner, and then after we eat dinner. And you know what she does? Cool. And she walks away. She knows I love her. She knows I got mints. She knows I'll give her a mint when she, when she can have one. And, she, and, and everything's fine. It's not like, oh, you don't love me. It's not like I need counseling. It's like, oh, okay, okay. And dear friends, that's the way we need to be. Trusting God, trusting our Abba Father, trusting his power, trusting his love, trusting his wisdom, coming to faith, coming with prayer to faith. And even if he says no, knowing that there's a really good reason and he's going to still help me. When Paul came and said, take away this terrible physical infirmity that I have that's going to destroy the rest of my life, God said, no. I'm going to give you something better. I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you me. And guess what? Paul's faith was not damaged for the rest of his life. Because when he wrote to the Philippians, he said this to them. Philippians 4.19. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. There's a guy who's full of faith when he goes to pray to God. God will supply all of your need. He said no to me this time. But in so many ways, he's always prayed. He's always been there for me. And even then, he supplied my need. He's the same guy who then earlier said this. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And then he's the guy who said this earlier in chapter 4. Chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds through Christ Jesus. Dear friends, we have every reason in the world to pray to God, full of faith, full of confidence. And, and, and walk away full of peace. Our God is all powerful. Our God is sovereign. He orders everything that goes on in the universe. And you're talking to him. Our God is everywhere. He's at home and at work. And when we're in the car and on the road and when we're in the emergency room, we're in the hospital, when we're at no matter where we are, our God is everywhere. And our God loves us deeply, and he has proven it. He has proven it. There is a proven fact. Our God loves us deeply. Look at the cross. Look at the cross. And there on the cross, look with the eyes of faith right now at this tortured, bloody, swollen man hanging there, suffering intensely, suffering immensely, having been beaten and bruised. He's dying. Look at him dying there. And they're making fun of him, and they've rejected him, and they're laughing at him. And now our sins are laid upon him. All of my unbelief, all of my selfishness, all of my covetousness, all of my greed, all of my anger being laid upon him. And there it's being punished. And the Father's pouring out his justice upon him. And the Father's pouring out his wrath upon him. And the Father is turning his back on him. Why? Why is that scene even happening? Because the Father asked him to do it for us. The Father sent him to do it for us. And Jesus, our wonderful Savior, came to do it for us. So no wonder he gets frustrated with us. Oh, how long until they get it? I love you. God loves you. And he has promised everything you need he will take care of. 
Romans 8, 31 to 32. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Dear friends, when I go visit people and they're in trial, they're in difficulty as a representative of the church, and, and one of the things that I'll always say to them is, listen, if you have any needs, if there's any way we can help, please, all you have to do is pick up that phone and we will be here for you. We will help you and such. And I'm so thankful for this church that I can make that promise all the time. Dear friends, God says that to you. God says that to you. So tomorrow when you pray, or even today when you pray, or this week when you pray, pray full of faith and full of hope. He's going to help me. My Abba Father is going to help me. Abba means daddy. My daddy father is going to help me. He loves me. He has power. All things are possible. I only need to bring the seed of a mustard seed. And he'll, he'll take care of me. When you pray, don't just let it be a desperate cry of, of it, like out in the desert, oh, help me. Dear friends, don't let it just be, well, the Bible commands me to pray. Don't let it just be, well, there are general biblical principles. If we pray, God may. But learn to break through into your Abba Father's presence and say, oh, Daddy, oh, Abba Father, I need you. I need you. But don't stop there. And I believe you're going to help me. I trust you. I know you're going to take care of this. I know you have this. I'm leaving this with you. This is your problem now. And I'm looking forward to how you're going to work this out. And you will walk away with peace. And you will walk away with joy. And prayer will really help. And just guess what, dear ones? It honors him when we treat him like this. Do you have God as your father? Do you have him as your Abba, Daddy, Father? It's only available through Jesus. Come to Christ. Come to Christ. And through his son, God will adopt you. And you will have an Abba, Father looking out at you, watching over you, concerned about you, taking care of you all of the rest of eternity. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we praise you and we thank you that you have come and that you have died and that you have given us everlasting life and you've given us adoption. Thank you, Father our dear Abba Father. Thank you that you're for us and you love us. Forgive us, we pray, for when we've whined at you in prayer, cried out to you with total unbelief, panicked, or even felt that prayer made it worse. Help us, we pray, to come to you with faith, trusting you, believing in you, Confident that this is not an exercise in futility, but that you'll do something. You hear prayer. You love us. Help us, Father, we pray. Help us. We're asking you right now.
Help our unbelief. Help us to be people of great faith. And we thank you ahead of time that you're gonna nurture us, that we are gonna walk out of here as Jonathan prayed, changed. Thank you. We thank you. We praise you. We trust you. We know you're for us. Thank you, Abba Father. In your precious name we pray, amen.